Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Because when we read our Bibles, we need to go into the evicting business. You know, we evict all those assaulting thoughts and worries that keep us from letting his words, letting the words of the Bible sink deep into us. And then we need to respond to his words. And then we need to remember these words in Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus beheld them. And count on him considering our response. And then... The next part, but Jesus beheld them and said unto them, and count on him to respond to our response. And if we don't go into the evicting business, and we just mechanically go through our Bible reading without his words sinking deep into our hearts and responding, then all this is lost. So the Lord Jesus has just told them it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. The disciples are stunned. He stops. He takes time to consider how stunned they are. And then he says, with men... This is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Now they're thinking God can make a camel go through the eye of a needle. And and that statement is the same as when Jehovah Jesus now said to Abraham, I am God Almighty. In other words, when a situation looks absolutely impossible, that's the time to grab a hold of this special name for God, God Almighty. So there stood Jacob, 77 years old, mama's boy, staying in the kitchen all the time, with a death threat from his expert hunter brother, much stronger than him, being sent out alone into a hostile desert and being told, go walk alone 400 miles, over 400 miles, into Syria. (laughs) And marry one of those daughters of Laban. (laughs) So you kind of think about that. You think, you know, the idea in that setting that Jacob and you see Jacob at that time say, he's going to become a great multitude of people. I wouldn't have put money on that. <laughs> it looks absolutely impossible. No, that's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, looking at Jacob and that thing and thinking how he should become a multitude of people, we, we might be tempted to look outside and see the camel and say, easier <laughs> for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for this little boy to become a great multitude. And Isaac knows this. And so he says, you know what, this is the perfect time for me to pull out that special name for God that God revealed to my 100-year-old or 99-year-old father when he said I would be born El Shaddai, God Almighty. And so he could have said to Jacob at that time, Jacob, I know that what I'm saying looks impossible, but El Shaddai, God Almighty. Jacob, I know you don't see how it's possible for you to become a multitude, but with men, this thing is impossible. God, all things possible. With El Shaddai, all things are possible. That's why this name for God is so important. It's important for us 
the God Almighty, because it's our response. It's our response to a seemingly impossible situation. With men, all things are possible. With El Shaddai, all things are possible. That's how in verse 3, Isaac could pray for Jacob and give to Jacob the promise that God made to Abraham to be fruitful and grow in number. Now, when we read here in verse 3 that Jacob should become a multitude of people, we think of a multitude. We think of many, many people, which it was. But the Hebrew here is not emphasizing the number because the Hebrew word for multitude in verse 3 is the word kahel, kahel or, or kehalat, kahel. See, Isaac is praying for a special kahel to come from Jacob. And we can see that what Isaac is praying for, if we look at two verses in Psalm 22, where this word is used, in Psalm 22, 22, where it says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the kahel, in the midst of the congregation, will I praise thee. And then in verse 25 of Psalm 22, my praise shall be of you in the great kahel, in the great congregation. See, in both of these verses, the word kahel is, is well translated congregation. It's because it's referring to the congregation of the redeemed, those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. See, this special kahel or congregation is seen in Revelation 5, 11 through 12, where it says the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. This special kahel that Isaac is praying Jacob will become is the seed that will serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and they'll be the new generation, which is referred to in Psalm twenty-two thirty. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. See, this is a special kahel congregation here that Isaac is referring to, and it's the subject of the new song in Revelation 5, 9. They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou hast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. See, this special kahel congregation in verse 3 that Isaac's praying for from Jacob is a kahel from every kindred, tongue, people, nation on the earth. And that's what the high priest spoke about when he was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ this special Kahel congregation in John eleven fifty two, when he says, and not for that nation only, but for that he also should gather together in one the children of God that are scattered abroad. See, this special Kahel congregation, verse 3, that Isaac's referring to is a very peculiar group of people. They've all been purified from their sins, and they're motivated. They have this special motivation to do good works which is what it says in Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The special kahel in verse 3, Isaac's talking about, is a generation of priests in the world that are constantly speaking of how the Lord Jesus Christ took them out of the state of darkness into the state of light as it says in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The entrance, how do you get into this special kahel? How do you get into this special kahel congregation in verse 3 that Isaac's referring to? John 1, 12 tells us, 
as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. See, part of the group, part of the kahel, part of the congregation, even to them that believe on his name. So inclusion into this special kahel comes from receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as God over my life and Savior of my soul. And exclusion from this kahel in verse 3 that Isaac's talking about happens when you do just what the verse before it says. He came unto his own, his own received him not. Exclusion from the kahel comes from not receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as God and Savior. And this special kahel that Isaac's referring to in verse 3 is a congregation that are called the sons of God. And they're not in sync with the dark, dead world around them. And they shine as lights in the dark world, and they hold out the word of life to a dead world, as it says in Philippians 2, 15 through 16. You may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked, scolios, crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So when Isaac, what he saw, what Isaac saw when he referred to the special kahel in verse 3 was that there was going to be a person. It just doesn't not going to happen. But there's going to be a special person who's called the gatherer. He's the one who's going to gather all these people in, these different people from all the other around the world there, to make up this special kahel. And this truth that there would be a gatherer, it really got into Jacob. And it got through to him. When he heard Isaac reveal to him there's going to be this special kahel in verse 3, see, from that point, in verse 3, Jacob, which is where Jacob first hears about this special kahel that's going to come from him. And Jacob, he thought, there's got to be a gatherer. Who's going to make up this special kahel? And so from this time in verse 3, Jacob hears about the special kahel. Jacob is wondering, where's the gatherer of that special kahel? And Jacob goes on from here, and he gets married. And as a matter of fact, even though his father told him, just get one wife, he's like it so much, he got four wives, you know. And he ends up having 12 sons. He'll end up having 12 sons with his four wives. And he'll look at his 12 sons throughout their lives, and he'll say to himself, you know, my father's revealed to me there was going to be a special Cahel gathering. And I wonder which of my sons is the gatherer. And this question kind of plagues, will plague Jacob for the rest of his life. And he's trying to figure out which of his sons is the gatherer to make up this special Cahel. And he looks at his firstborn. He says, well, firstborn. And Reuben, he says, oh, it can't be Reuben. He slept with my wife. He sexually defiled my wife. He's out. And then he looks at Joseph. Oh, my favorite son. But for the majority of Joseph's life, he thinks he's killed by a wild animal. Can't be him. And so this question kind of plagues Jacob for his life. Who's the gatherer? And he looks at his sons and he said, is he the gatherer? He the gatherer that's going to make the kahel happen that my father taught me about? And so on the last day of his life, when he's giving his final blessing to his 12 sons, and he's going from one to the other, that God opens his eyes and he finally sees which of the sons is the gatherer to make up this special kahel. And he's amazed. And he says in, in Genesis 49, 8, Judah, thou art he. Whom thy brethren shall praise, thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies, thy father's children shall bow down unto thee. See, he says, Judah, thou art he. Yehuda, Atah. Atah, it's you. It's you. It's you, Judah. 
And Jacob said with a great surprise, it was revealed to him. And he goes on to say in Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. He's going to be the one that's going to make the special kahal. You're the gatherer, Judah, from you, is going to come the gatherer of the people to make up this special kahal my father Isaac told me about. All my life, I've been looking for the gatherer of the, to, to make up the special kahal. And now with just minutes left to live, that's all he's got. God reveals it to him, and he says, oh, finally, Judah, Yehuda Ata, it's you. Thou art he, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ from the tribe of Judah. He's the Shiloh. And he became the gatherer unto him and was gathered together people from every tribe and tongue and nation to make this special kahel that Isaac's referring to in verse 3. As it says in Ephesians 1.10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, and even in him. See, the special kahel gathered congregation Isaac speaks about in verse 3 is the same as the Greek word ecclesia, or church. So in verse 3, we could just as easily read, and God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee, and that thou mayest be a church of people, because kahel means church. And the first reference to the church is given in Acts, Acts 7.38, and where it says, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake unto him at Mount Sinai with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give him. So the first reference of this actual church or ecclesia is at Mount Sinai. Those people were called the church in the wilderness. The church had already been born in Mount Sinai in order for it to be called the church. The reference to the first church here is Mount Sinai. It's not the day of Pentecost. Now, verse 4 is such a clear, wonderful statement that Isaac says when he says, And give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee. Thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. See, in this statement, we can see how Isaac emphasized the word thee. Give thee the blessing of Abraham. We read that and we cheer, you know, Isaac, oh, wonderful. Finally, we get Hebrews 11.20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. Now, when Isaac told uh, Jacob that God would give him the land, it was going to be in the future. It was in the future. It wasn't now. That was obvious. It wasn't now. So Isaac speaks about Jacob's current state, and he says, the land wherein thou art right now, a stranger. See, in verse 4, Isaac told Jacob that he would inherit the land in the future, but for now, he had to live on the land as a stranger and a pilgrim. So what Isaac told Jacob in verse 4, that's for us today. We will inherit the earth, as the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Reminds me of what Pastor Keating used to say, he wanted to inherit Maui. (laughs) And when the Lord said that the meek will inherit the earth, that was the same as Isaac saying to Jacob, God is going to give you the land of Canaan. But when Isaac said to Jacob, the land wherein thou art a stranger, that's important because that's the same as our current state here on earth. We are strangers and pilgrims, as it says in 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, war against the soul. See, Peter called believers, he addresses his whole letter, 
In 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout, he names those places. So Peter described, he described what believers are doing on earth. He said, if you call on the Father, in 1 Peter 1.17, if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Sojourning, just like you're a traveler with the attitude, I don't really live here. And there's an attitude behind Isaac's words, the land wherein thou art a stranger. You know, I love to sail. This last Monday, Dave Hall and I went sailing. We went sailing together. I brought some pictures, see how beautiful it was out there. See, isn't that nice? Yeah, it was really nice. So we were out there sailing. Yeah, no. Yes, no. (laughs) Anyway, that's not part of my message. (laughs) And so I have a little 14-foot sailboat. And I used to sail that boat almost every week. I loved that little boat. And I kept that little boat in my garage. You know, I was, I was all the time fussing with my boat, you know. And I, I mean, I was examining the little boat and fixing this and fixing that. And you know, there's a lot of things to fix when you put something of metal parts in the ocean. And so I was doing that. But I haven't sailed that little boat since the year 2000. Instead, I just now rent sailboats. And I've often been tempted to buy a big sailboat, but I never did because I'd walk down the docks and I'd see these guys varnishing their wood, scraping the barnacles off the bottom of the boat, replacing the parts, and then sitting back in their boat and with that, you know, this boat's mine. (laughs) And I I remember one time I was walking down the dock and I saw a boat named, you know, My Other Woman. (laughs) And I thought about it all. Hey, she's really high maintenance. (laughs) So instead, I just rent sailboats for the day. And I'm happy to rent sailboats. I like that because there's a feeling. There's a feeling that I love about renting a sailboat. And you know what it is? It's not when I get the boat and I get it. It's at the end of the day. It's at the end of the day. I love the, the feeling, the attitude that I adopt at the end of the day of renting a sailboat. And I got this little routine. And I really, I really let this, and in this routine, I really let this attitude sink in at the end of the day. Because at the end of the day, I walk back up to the rental office, to the key drop box. And when I reach the key drop box, I love to drop the key in the box and hear the sound of the key hit the bottom of the box. Because I have this little routine, and when I hear the key hit the bottom of the box, I say to myself, I don't own it. <laughs> I say, I don't own it. And I smile and walk away, you know, because there's such a freedom to say, I don't own it. Because, you know, there's a freedom from worry. Because when I get on the boat, instead of the boat, I see all the things that are broken. You know, the speedometer that doesn't work and the, the cleat that's broken over here. And this is, you know, and I say, I don't worry about that. It's what's broken on that sailboat because I don't own it. Yeah. And I just use it for the day and I'm done. There's such a freedom from having this over-attachment because when I say, I don't own it, I mean, I don't have a special love for that sailboat because I don't own it. And I just use it for the day, and I'm done. And that's the meaning behind Isaac's statement to Jacob in verse 4 when Isaac says, the land wherein thou art a stranger. When Isaac said that to Jacob, he was giving Jacob such a freedom. Isaac said to Jacob, the land whereon thou art a stranger, he's giving Jacob that, that great attitude, that feeling that I have when I drop the keys into the, the key box. And Isaac says that in verse 4, the land whereon I'm a stranger, he's saying to Jacob, Jacob, you're free from this land because you don't own it. 
And just like me, the sailboat, you're just, you're just using that land. You don't own it. You're a stranger on it. And there's a great freedom in that. Jacob, you're a stranger on the land. You don't own it. So you're free from worrying about the land. Just enjoy the sound of the drop and the key box and land and say, I don't own it. You're a stranger in the land. You don't own it. So you're free from overattachment to that land. Just enjoy the sound of the drop, you know, just to, and say, I don't own it. And that's the take-home message for us in verse 4 of the words, the land wherein thou art a stranger. Take on the attitude of a renter and say about our houses and our cars and everything we use, we don't own it. We only use it. We're just renters. Everything we use belongs to God. We're only renters. See, that's what the richest man in the world told us this. Not Bill Gates. <laughs> King Solomon, richer. In First Chronicles 29, 14, he says, But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? And then he said this, For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. See, all things come from you, and from your own have we given you. See, at prayer meeting last Wednesday, we were praying for me to buy a property in Los Angeles, and so that it would go from his property to my property, you know? <laughs> and someone prayed, Lord, the property is yours. <laughs> that was a wake-up call for me because that brought such a peace to me. It wasn't a matter of the property changing from his property to becoming my property. But with that prayer, it was God's property. And the question was only, which one are you going to allow to rent it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> And it brought a peace, peace free from anxiety from the point. You could say, see, to believe what Solomon said, all things come of thee. It brings a wonderful attitude of, I don't own it. We don't own it. We only use it for the days of our lives, and it's not ours. And then we're going to hear the sweet sound of the keys dropping, hitting the bottom of the box, and say, I don't own it. See, the I don't own it attitude, it brings us freedom from worry and anxiety over the world that's broken. And we don't need to fix it because we don't own it. And the I don't own it attitude brings us freedom from the I love the world, and I love the things of the world. See, the I don't own it attitude brings us freedom from becoming overattached to the world and the things of this world. That's what Isaac was doing for Jacob in verse 4. In essence, he said, son, never forget my words, the land wherein thou art a stranger. And when Isaac said to Jacob in verse 4, the land wherein thou art a stranger, Isaac was in essence saying to Jacob, the words that John said in 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, verse 4, the land wherein thou art a stranger, it means, Jacob, don't try to own the world or the things that are in the world. Just say, I don't own it. In 1 John 2.17, it says, the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. See, verse 4, the land wherein thou art a stranger means, Jacob, don't try to own the world, the things that are in the world, because it's passing away. Just say, I don't own it. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at tomcantor.org. That's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. What are you doing this Thursday? Come to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California at 6.30 p.m. for our Thursday night Bible study and fellowship. Our Bible study happens every Thursday night at 6.30 p.m. This Thursday, we'll study the truth of the Bible, science, and compare that to the life and work of Charles Darwin. We'll have expert guest speakers from the Southern California Seminary with Dr. John Baumgartner and Dr. Christopher Cohn and Dr. Kenneth Cumming, who will join our Creation and Earth History Museum staff as we study the truth of the Bible, science, and compare that to the life and work of Charles Darwin. Bring an atheist or unbeliever to the Bible study and fellowship and join us this Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, off Woodside Avenue North. Call us for more information. 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or go online to creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org. Creationsd.org.